God's exquisite creation is a powerful expression of his love for us. So how valuable is it to teach our children to appreciate the complex beauty of the natural world? Today's guest is Catholic author and homeschooling mom, T.M. Gowett, to share her family's adventure with our topic today, Homesteading and the Benefits of Raising Living Things. Stay with us. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. All right, it's great to be with you again. This is Lisa Maladnik, and today I'm speaking with TM Gowett, and I'm going to call her by her name, Ty, because it's so beautiful, and she's coming to us from New Hampshire. She's an author uh, in the Faith and Kung Fu series for young adults, as well as the Destiny of Sunshine Ranch. She also contributed to the last Catholic teen books anthology, which is called Secrets, Visible and Invisible, with her short story, Sister Francesca. Her novels have received the Catholic Writers Guild seal of approval. And just FYI, I'm a member also. That means that the quality of the writing is excellent and that it also supports our Catholic values. So that's a really big deal. More Catholics should know about that. Uh, born in Africa and raised in London, England, Gawet now lives on a small farmstead in New England with her husband, where she homeschools her four children, raises goats, and writes fiction for teens and young adults. A former contributor for Project Inspired, Gawet's desire is to instill the love of God into the hearts of her readers, and you can find out more at www tmgawet.com. And I'll spell that out for you, but it'll be at our landing page too. That's T M. G-A-O-U-E-T-T-E dot com. Okay, so Ty, thanks so much for being with us. It's, uh, I'm really excited about this topic today. Thank you, Lisa. I'm very excited to be here discussing it with you. Hmm, yeah, tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why you homeschool to begin with. Okay, so um, yeah, you know, homeschooling was uh, never a thought in my mind until I started having issues with my oldest child at the time he was in first grade and he was going to a um a catholic uh, school a private school and he had a language delay from um uh, up until he was five years old so he struggled a lot and specifically in this school every time he had an issue he would play up and the uh, the, the administration the teachers had um a hard time dealing with him Sometimes he would just, you know, throw things, yell, cry. He couldn't express himself. So it was becoming a really big issue. Uh, I volunteered for the schools in the, in the school in the morning, and they would, they would approach me and say, oh, we're having trouble with your son, and can you come and help? And, I, and that to me was a problem because they needed me to, you know, to help them uh, deal with him. And, and uh, oftentimes when I left the school, he would be crying. I would look through his window, his uh, door, and I would see them all, you know, in circle time reading. And my son would be in a separate location, crying his eyes out. And uh, it was just too much for me. Uh, eventually, I put him back in the daycare who he was in previously because they did have um, uh, a school up until first grade, just so I could figure out what I was going to do. Um, because they, the, the Catholic school was actually calling me also once a week, and I'd have to go and pick him up. And it was becoming a problem for my job. So that was the biggest but the biggest uh, um, uh, eye opener to me as to how how is how is I going to make this work? I didn't want to put him in pro in uh, public school. 
So uh, by the time I had my third child, it just uh, seemed like there was no way that we'd be able to put them all in Catholic schools. And I asked my husband if we could homeschool. And at first he was very reluctant, as men usually are, about homeschooling. And uh, because again, he wasn't very familiar with the whole process either. But um, he, he finally agreed and, and uh, it's, been, it's been an amazing experience for us. It's been absolutely wonderful. And you would not even believe that my son is the same, the same child. Hmm. That, that I, the more I talk to other homeschooling moms, the more I hear versions of this story, which is that a child simply didn't fit the school model. It wasn't right for them at that time. I've also heard many stories of children who at various levels, all the way up into middle school, were pulled out to be homeschooled for a period of time. And then when they went back into the school system, were much higher functioning. Their homeschooling can serve a lot of different needs in a lot of different ways. Now, um, tell us just a little bit about what your homeschooling day is like in terms of how you bring your children together and work with them academically. Well, I have four children. Uh, the oldest now is uh, 15. He's going into um, high school age or high school, high schooling. And my youngest is six and he'll be going into first grade. And, you know, initially I had my homeschool area and, you know, they would have their own specific spots. But it's just come to a point where a more casual uh, learning experience works for, for them. So they're all around the dining room table. They all have their own seats um, and they all obviously have their own grades but we usually work with the same subjects at the same time so they usually start with math language arts so they'll do in specific days you know we set out our curriculum and um it helps because we're dealing with the same subject at the same time and i think it's great to do them all at the same time because the older children can hear what's going on with the younger children almost relearn what they learned in the past because children forget a lot of things so this is a great way to just review what they learned in the, you know in the past and it, mm. it builds on what they know now and the younger children also benefit because they get to hear what the older children are learning and so they kind of get a um a foreshadowing of what's to come you know and they kind of learn things and you know if they know the answer of one of the older kids they feel like that yeah you know they're doing really <laughs> <laughs> a lot smarter or whatever. but it's just fun it's great to have them all at the same time it's great to um just have them around each other and also some of the older kids can help the younger ones and it's just i love the environment and it's very mm. relaxed very casual um the academic part is just mo mostly just you know get the information out there but then there's another part to the homeschooling that pretty much um fills the rest of the day and that's where the homestead comes into it you know the rest mm. of the rest of our life <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, how does the homesteading, and why don't we first uh, define what homesteading is, Ty? Just describe well, what that means to you. Well, homesteading in itself, there's a, probably a wide uh, variety of homestead families. You know, we all have, you know, different interests, and it's basically what is comfortable for you as a family. But a homesteading family uh, likes to uh, live a more of a sustainable life where you know you grow a garden you have chickens um, goats maybe some other kind of animals cows but basically it's a way of kind of living off the land more of a, a, a lifestyle that you know um, the pioneers lived you know and back in the day where they were just growing their own foods and uh, their own meat and that kind of thing so that's basically what we have ours is a, a 
right now, because I have four children and so much going on in my life, I only have chickens and goats. We have a lot of fruit trees. We have a garden. Um, so yeah, that's basically where we are. Yeah, I love this image of children learning together in that natural way where, I mean, this idea of age segregating children for education really probably only happened with the Industrial Revolution. Like so many things became sort of mechanized in an artificial way. The family is a place for learning with all the different ages together where they learn to care about each other, understand each other. And of course, there's conflicts, but that becomes a, a natural thing that they learn to kind of uh, understand and to weigh and evaluate as well so that when they're adults, they can handle conflicts too. I mean, I just feel like that environment is so natural and that when kids are institutionalized in a school, some thrive beautifully and, so, and, are, and have wonderful family foundations and are well socialized. But I love the image of the family around the table and learning from each other and all of that. But, if, but then this extension out into the natural world that throughout the day, your family is caring for other living things. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like for your family? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, having the animals is not just a chore, you know, you know, like having a dog or a cat where you just feed the dog, give the dog some water and so on and so forth. I mean, it goes beyond that. And uh, obviously there is the, the, the chore part of it where they do have their responsibilities in the morning, taking care of, you know, the goats, making sure they have their water and checking for eggs and making sure that the chickens have their, their water and so on. And then, then later on, you know, as other things happen throughout the season in the summertime with the garden, they help with, you know, harvesting or, you know, later on canning and so on and so forth. It, it starts as, as, as a kind of a chore because it's similar to what a lot of families do, taking care of animals, but it goes beyond that. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot that goes into taking care of farm animals. Um, what are some strengths and virtues that come naturally from this process of learning Absolutely. to raise things? Well, how would you describe some of the ways they're being strengthened through this? Well, I think that, you know, it goes deeper than just taking care of animals. It goes deeper to a point where you come, you get closer to nature. And I really believe that in, when you get closer to nature, you get closer to God because you get an understanding of what God wants us to know about him. Uh, when you get closer to nature, you better understand God and you better know him. So our responsibility as Catholics is to know, love and serve God. And what a wonderful way to do that when you're living with nature and living with his creation, you know, um, so, you know, you have the, the, the surface responsibilities of feeding and taking care of, but then there's a, a level beyond that or below that where you're nurturing, where you're coming to understand your animals. So for example, my children can uh, see when there are issues going on in the farm. My daughter, for example, will find the slightest little tiny, little subtle details that may, maybe something is wrong with maybe a baby goat or something is wrong with uh, another goat or so. She'll notice things that I don't think most people would notice because she's come to know them. All my children have come to understand, you know, even a chicken, there's something wrong with that chicken or <laughs> I think this one, needs, and who does that? Who can walk into a place and say, I can look at all those chickens and tell you that there's, there's something wrong with this one. Um, they've, uh, we go through a whole process throughout the year with our animals, you know, the breeding, the kidding for the goats, uh, deliveries, uh, they, they're there. They've seen the babies born. They've helped with the babies being born, taking care of them, helping get the, the babies uh, prepped, cleaning them off, you know, we uh, trimming their little navel cords and dipping them into eye. These are things that 
they know how to do. They know what to take care of. So it's a level of understanding and a, um, an attention to detail that most children probably don't have. Um, don't have. I mean, mm. um, and, and and sadly, not everyone can live this kind of life. So it's an absolute blessing. So I'm not, you know, I'm everyone go out and get a farm. You know, obviously, <laughs> not everyone can go out and get a farm. But even if you can go places or spend more time with animals or visit places, that is just something that I think every child will thrive from. It's mm. so basic. It's not, it's not this, you don't get, um, you don't, you don't have to worry about how, how other kids will think about you or it's just with animals. Animals is just so basic They mm. just love you and that the kids thrive. And it's just a fantastic environment for children, especially as part of their schooling, because schooling can be very stressful. Mm. But take a moment and sit in with the goats or the chickens and your whole mind just calms. So it's just, again, bringing yourself to nature, bringing yourself closer to God and understanding him and coming to know him better. Mm, and there are so many studies to tie. You're probably aware many moms have talked about this uh, from, from time to time, is that um, scientific studies show that more time spent in nature actually measurably raises our IQ. And, and that, that just, science always ends up pointing back to God. That God, you know, we are, has helped us to be innovators and create safe and secure environments for ourselves to live in and internet and all these things that are blessings. But that we are being called on some natural and spiritual level to also be with God in nature, that he speaks to us there. He makes himself present. You look at the Psalms, praise the Lord, all you, you know, earth and stars and moon. And, you know, I mean, there are so many, the people and, and even in over the centuries, various poets and storytellers that have had a strong connection with nature. There's a wisdom there. There's a groundedness and even a peacefulness about people who spend time in nature. And I don't mean that life becomes perfect, but, but certainly that, that being close to God in the natural world is, a, as you said, a great blessing to the children. Absolutely. And I think that the situation, the environment that they live in grounds them more, you know, mm. and I think that we need a break from the world that we live in. We need a break from all the chaos and everything that's distracting to us. And we need to be in a place where it's just nature. It's just quiet and it's just everything that God created to remind us too what he's done for us and his amazing gifts. We forget that, you know, in our chaotic day where we're running around and just trying to keep up with society and, and, and so on and so forth, that we forget what God wants from us. And so it really is important to be able to take a moment um, with nature to, to see his creation, to see the gifts that he's given us, to just look around you and see how the world sustains itself. You know, we, people are, your humans are quick to interfere with the things that God has created, you know, or change what God has created or say that they know better than what God has created. But when you take a moment and look around you and pay more attention to his creation and what he's, he's offered us and given us, you know, the fruit on, you know, the trees or milk from goats and eggs from chickens and seeds and, and, and the vegetables that we grow, everything sustains itself. Everything takes care of itself. It doesn't just happen that way. Something had to create this amazing um, organization. This everything makes sense when you, when you know, when you look at it. And so uh, when you give that to a child, they um, can identify all these, the subtle things that go on around them. They can see see what happens and it makes sense to them you know and everything that god creates makes sense 
I so, feel like um, it also ties into the whole servant leadership, the model of Christ. Exactly. Because you have to be so responsible when you're caring for living things. And it makes you so compassionate too, you know. Mm. It gives you a sense of uh, a deeper love, uh, a caring, a selflessness where you have to put something else before yourself. And for children, that's really difficult, you know. Mm. Uh, my oldest will uh, go out in the middle of the night sometimes and he'll say, oh, mom, I can't remember if I closed in the chickens tonight. I'm going to go check. And well, Daria, I think you did it. You did it. Or, oh, no, I'm going to go check. I need to go check. And then he'll go in and check on the goats and just, I'm just going to see if they're all right. I mean, mm. go outside and stop what he's doing because sometimes he's woken up, and come downstairs, mom, I can't remember if I, you know, and he'll go out because he for himself needs to know that they're safe, that they're okay. And that's a selflessness, who, you know, for a child his age to be thinking of the goats, you know? Mm. And so once you um, develop that sense of compassion uh, for animals, you, how can you not have that for the people around you, you know, for mm. other people and uh, humans as an, and, and that will develop and grow as he gets older. So mm. there is a sense of responsibility, but again, that's, that, that's pretty surface. You know, you take care of the animals. It's important to understand your responsibilities and your work and that you have to take care of things, but there's also a deeper level of compassion and, um, just a deeper sense of love for something other than yourself in a world where children are very selfish and, and, and very self um, absorbed and just basically want to take care of themselves and be happy and have fun. So as you were talking about your son, uh, I was getting the image of the good shepherd and it occurred to me that that, that person who takes kind of ownership of the care of others, whether it's starting off with little animals and then branching up to, to other people, no matter what his vocation, feel like he has Christ as his model in a natural sense that's coming yeah. from this natural relationship with animals and with your crops and everything else, the things that you grow and you're caring for your fruit trees and all of that. And it really is something really magnetically appealing to me about people who grow things. One of my nieces um, is married to a nice fellow up in Cumbermere in, the, in Ontario in Canada, and they live on a farm and they're self-sustaining. And, and that's a really beautiful thing. And you see the joy and the competence and the confidence that those children have because they know how to do things. And they help mom and dad do vital things on their homestead absolutely vital, the whole family. And that's something that's really missing in our society. Children are kept in an infantilized uh, frame of mind and taught to be consumers in our culture instead of growers and creators and nurturers. I, I completely agree with that. And the other beautiful thing about having this opportunity is that, again, your children can learn where things come from, you know, um, and what you can do with it. Mm -hmm. So for example, with our goats, we uh, after we bred the bred the goats, uh, we uh, milk the we milk the we milk the moms and um, we make products out of them. You know, we make cheese, we make soaps, uh, goat milk soap. They, the children help create the soaps. We also sell them at a church fair, so the kids go from the process of milking a goat to making the soaps to packaging the soaps to you know coming up with pricing going to a, um, a fair and setting up their product showing it to you know consumers learning how to be you know offer good cu customer service and selling products so they're taking something um, from directly from nature and creating a product and selling it so they have the whole uh, 
idea of um, consumerism and uh, how to basically take something from nature and, you know, thrive with it, make money with it, and right. do something good with it. So that's yeah. just that. That's just amazing that they that that they get that, that opportunity. Yeah, it really is. To sh- uh, I love that there is a direct connection with nature, but even as you said, that process of creating, packaging, pricing, bringing it to market, interacting with the marketplace—what valuable skills! Those kinds that those kinds of experiences are relatively rare now in our society. I mean, some you know suburban kids get to work part time in their family businesses and things like that, and that's invaluable experience. Again, doing something vital for the family and learning how to do it hands on, being expected to be a critical member of that team. And just, and in a natural way too, not in this like high pressured sense where the family is disconnected from the product. The family creates it together and, and, and the family's wisdom brings it to market rather than being in a situation where you're working a job and you're under deadline pressure and the family doesn't matter. The family recedes because the deadlines take over and there are late nights and weekends. But when you're connected to creating something together like that, I feel like the family never loses focus. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And you feel that when you feel closer to the family, you know, you will have a responsibility together. It's not just, you know, uh, one child's interest. It's the whole family's interest together. And so you're working not just for, to, to do your own responsibility, but you're working as a family to help the team. It's kind of like a teamwork thing, you know, where you need each other, you focus on each other, you, uh, without one person's uh, assistance over here, the whole thing could fall apart. So you actually show that, that we all have a responsibility to work together in order to make this work. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and, you know, it's just a, a great thing. And then when my children get older, they'll know uh, where product is, you know, grown, how it looks when it's a plant, they'll understand I mean, how many kids know, I don't know what kale looks like when it's growing or, you know, where, where certain things are growing. My, my children will be able to recognize how certain vegetables are grown and where things come from, which mm-hmm. I, I feel, I feel badly for children who don't have that opportunity, not because their parents don't want them to have that opportunity because they're just unable. So whenever possible, I always try and urge parents to give their children an opportunity to visit visit farms and just Mm. be around animals and learn about vegetables and how things are grown it's a good Mm. thing possible to be able to offer that to your children it's so it opens their mind Mm. now they're stuck a lot of children are stuck in just you know their devices and i mean we have a problem in the culture that we have right now we have a problem where children just don't even care about anything outside of what's going on on their phones or Mm -hmm. so I just it's very disheartening Mm -hmm. that a lot of children are missing out on some of the greater things that are going on in this world that yeah no it's really true Ty um one of the things that's come out in recent years and we could do multiple episodes just on this one point, but so many whistleblowers are coming out of Silicon Valley saying that the people who have created all this interactive stuff in our social media do not allow their own families to have devices because they know how addictive and dangerous they are, Um, that they create the dopamine hit uh, addiction with all the likes and and the shares and all of that business. 
that it that really it really is meant to be profoundly distracting so that so that the user is in a sense under control and we do see that disconnect happening I, um thank god we have people trying lots of different things i mean we have people even in the suburbs doing a little bit of beekeeping or who are growing a vegetable yes. garden or whatever that is we can all do a little something um not that i'm growing anything myself i've always meant to have a vegetable garden and just one of those people that never got around to it but can certainly see the value of it and have had wonderful opportunities with our homeschool network to be out in nature and nature study and visiting farms and in the spring to see the new life uh, and all of that it's just such a beautiful thing. Can you just briefly step us into a basic routine for a typical day on the farm? What does it look like? A school day on the farm, a regular school day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, after waking up in the morning, the children... Um, what time, Ty? When do you get oh, up? Oh, gosh. It depends. <laughs> they all get up at different times. That's the one benefit of, homes of homeschooling is that they don't get up too early. You don't have to get up at six or something. It's right, so probably right. seven or seven thirty. The kids will get up and uh, get get dressed, and then they will go out. The first thing they do is they have to take care of the animals, let the animals out, uh, feed them, give them their water and uh, the hay, and so on and so forth, and collect the eggs. Then come inside, and then we'll have breakfast. Um, and then they'll brush their teeth and then we start school. School probably starts about uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock. They'll say their morning prayer, um, for their school prayer, their Pledge of Allegiance, and then they'll all sit down and their books, everything's ready because I have everything all, all, all set up in, in folders. I try I do that over the summer. Usually August is the time when I have everything prepped so that I can just pull it out in the morning and it's right there. ready mm. for So... Um, and so then they'll do their school. They'll take a break at 11 o'clock. They have a quick snack break. And usually I like to have their math done by then because math is the worst. <laughs> you know? So if they haven't done their math by then, that's a long time to be doing your math. And I try not to push them. I try not to um, rush them on certain things because uh, I really feel like they need to, their brains don't work so well when you're just, oh, hurry up, hurry up, get this done. So I try and get them to, you know, take their time with, with the stuff that they need beyond, I mean, within reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to be there at nighttime. So usually by the time they've finished their snack, they've finished, uh, they've done this, they're at snack time, they've, they've finished their math and their language arts. And then after snack time, they finish the rest of their school. And then school goes after school, it's lunchtime. They, at lunchtime, before we sit down and have lunch, they have to check on the animals. And then uh, we have lunch, then we'll do rosary. And then after rosary, it's their day. So if we haven't got anything like a science or, or, or a play day, and we have a lot of homeschool friends from our church, very like-minded friends, which is a lot easier to deal with. Mm. Um, so if we don't have a play date or we don't have a visit or a, a project or something, then they just go out. And they go out in the summertime. Uh, if the weather's warm, they'll swim. We have basketball here. They have a treehouse. Uh, they run around. They play whatever they want to do. I mean, when my kids come up to me and say, I'm bored, I'm like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Think of something to do. I'm not here to entertain you. I just did my job. I just, I just taught you. That was my job. I'm not here to entertain you unless I'm, you know, it's a planned entertainment project. But otherwise, you need to go and use your imagination. And most times when children are bored, they will get super creative. You know, mm -hmm. they'll start just 
I don't know, playing sharp or they'll get on their bikes. And we have a, a, a nice plot of land where they'll just ride around and pretend, oh, we have dirt bikes as well. And so they can, there's a lot to keep them entertained on their own. They don't need me to do that for them. And I really believe it's important for parents not to constantly direct their children and say, you should be doing this now, you should be doing this. This is their time to do what they need to do. And then by 4.30, 5 o'clock, they need to go check on the animals again. And again, uh, throughout the day, my daughter's always in with the goats. She loves the goats. She's always in there checking on the goats. Um, so but later on, in, uh, before it's supper time, they have to go check on the animals again, make sure they're okay, make sure they have their water and their food. And um, some uh, showers are in the evening. And then, then they have their dinner and then they can put the TV on if they want to watch something. And it has to be approved stuff because they don't watch these the kids' shows and stuff. They have to watch a movie that they've already seen before that, that I said was okay before. Mm -hmm. They can't just like, you know, go around Nickelodeon and watch ridiculous shows and yeah, what a content creator once told me is referred to routinely behind the scenes as brat tv or brat programming no, no yeah. it's directly designed to do that oh my gosh so it sounds like a really just um an, a day that's efficient and dedicated but has a lot of space in it i, I love anna of green gables and she talked a lot about the space, leaving space for the imagination or scope exactly. for the imagination. Um, and I feel like being out in nature does that for children in a beautiful way. Ty, it's been just such a delight uh, just getting a taste of your world and, and hearing some of the benefits of homesteading. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and I've uh, had a wonderful time chatting with you. Oh, thank you. And uh, don't forget to check out Ty's site, www.tmg a-O-U-E-T-T-E.com. It'll be at our landing page as well. Um, but definitely check out her wonderful teen books, which have beautiful messages for your, your teenagers and great stories. And, uh, and find out more about her and how she's blessing the world as a mom, as an author, and in so many ways in her call and giftedness in the Lord. Uh, stay with us. We've got a short feature coming right up before we sign off for the day. Thanks and God bless. Hey everyone, I'm Celeste Behe, and I am so happy to be with you here at Story Strands. Today we are talking about the value of storytelling. You know, from the time I was very young, I have been fascinated by gemstones. So, when for my first communion I got to wear a tiara trimmed with teardrop-shaped pearls, I was beyond thrilled. It didn't matter that the pearls were fake. I thought there could be nothing more beautiful. Luckily for me, I grew up in an Italian family in which every milestone called for a gift of jewelry. So over the years, I was given several genuine pearl jewelry pieces, each one precious in its own way. Did you ever think of the stories you tell as precious? If not, think again. Your stories are precious and just like pearls, they are unique, valuable, and timeless. Unique because who else but you could so vividly describe the moment that you learned you were going to be a mother? Or describe your husband's reaction when you said, Honey, you're going to be a daddy. The story you tell is also valuable. For example, to remind my own kids that 
slow and steady wins the race, I share that in high school, I was the gym class jester, entertaining everyone with feats of astonishing clumsiness. But get what? At the end of the school year, I won the Phys Ed Award, not for my agility, but for my perseverance. And finally, the story you tell can be timeless. Think of stories that have been passed down in your family. Your grandparents' elopement story. Your parents' account of losing your brother in the department store. Your own thrilling tale of jumping the curb during your driver license exam. If you ever told a story about a memorable moment in your life, you were sharing a part of yourself as only you could share it. That was a unique story. If you ever told a story to teach your children a moral, you were educating them while you were entertaining them. That was a valuable story. If you ever told a story about your family's everyday adventures, you were sharing an experience that your listeners could relate to and later retell over and over again. That was a timeless story. And this has been Story Strands. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Celeste Behe, and you can find me and pictures of my pearls at CelesteBehe.com. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by HomeschoolConnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you, and thank you for joining us.